All right, Lulz is back. And as the chat is saying here, finally a real human boy on Lulz joining us today. We're done with all of the Sim nerds. No, we're bringing in a true alpha. It's the one and only Pat Mayo. We're going to talk about DFS. He recently punched a ticket to uh, King of the Beach. We'll hear about his DFS play, what's going on with him over in his neck of the woods. It's Lulz. Let's go. I, does he think... I it's think he thinks goat. this. He thinks this is a goat. Vegas Dave thinks this is a goat. Hot naked girls doing yoga. What? Why don't you just win like a man? Random.org. <laughs> Type in one for yes, two for no. And let the DFS guys pick for you. And I'm absolutely begging you not to do bus. <laughs> Please don't do bus. All right, Pat Mayo. Do you identify as a real human boy, as ATX says here? Uh, I do, but when you said, you know, pure alpha, I guarantee you of all of the Simbros that you've had on the show, I am the first to like touch up my face with makeup and put in hair gel. You know what? Alpha has very different meanings. And when you are grading it on a Simboy curve, you are an alpha in, in that curve. And, but I, I mean, you're not breaking your streak of Sims. As you may know, I co-own a site that does Sims. I know. I did think about this too, where, and I think I even put in the description, I was like, we will inevitably talk about Sims despite Brian and I's best efforts not to Brian are do you still have a little bit more sim talk left in you I have none if I have to I suppose <laughs> <laughs> week week eight Pat do you or uh Brian do you have any thoughts uh, a big comment after last week's show was how agitated and tilted uh you appeared I got that comments everywhere privately in the discord in the YouTube comments uh are you feeling better this week I'm feeling fantastic Pete feeling okay. great Love, love to just, hear. Uh, just, uh, just, you know, one of those days, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, check out the the episode with Whistles Go Woo from last week if you want to see Brian in a far less agreeable mood than he is right now. Uh, but Pat, I know you've been been watching the lull stuff from afar. Do, do you have any? I, I like using the show too to just get you on here and give your vocal uh, comments on on stuff you've heard over the past. Has anything been uh, intriguing or made your eyebrows raise? Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I mentioned to Feinberg that I was coming on and he loves this show, but he only loves it when you guys are talking about drama because he <laughs> thinks this show should be dedicated to be basically being like page six, but for DFS and gambling. And he just wants to hear rumors and beefs. And even if you have to make up stories about people, then, hey, yeah. he's all for that. That's a, that's the gossip that he wants to hear. But it's funny because I do co I, I co and run The Sims with Justin. And just hearing about The Sim stuff, like the Sim market is so small. Based on, and because you guys have an oversized show, I think that the perception is that, like, a lot of people are using Sims. They are not. <laughs> Yeah, I think we, we I mean, we struggle with that with all kinds of stuff, right, where we get in our hyper niche bubble. And then I really I mean, you do a lot of, you know, mass market, like top of funnel stuff. I do over at Fantasy Life, a lot of stuff, even doing XM. And you realize like how different I have people calling me and asking what chance they have at winning their matchup when they have CMC and they're going against a defense. Those are the questions I get that we're in here trying to be like, Sibs are everywhere. Everyone's using them. And it's like we are a bit in a bubble here. I mean, I find them really hard to use and I don't, I don't play like one fifties and things like that. So uh, I'm not maxing out giant contests. So they're not really for me. I, I think it's a really cool idea. I wish I was smarter. I mean, that's why I defer to Justin on all this stuff. That's sort of his end of run the Sims. Whereas mine is like, Hey, you should buy run the Sims. Yeah. What do I you talk, think, Brian? I talked to you to, um, 
over like Zoom after our show for a couple hours. And uh, there was some discussion. So this is like two episodes ago about whether he was like forthcoming or anything, you know, if he's doing anything and just doesn't want to let anyone know. And uh, 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 he's not. He's not doing any Sims or any machine learning or AI implementation or anything like that. He, he is he's the epitome of a brain player. Um, you know, he's taking a, a lot of stuff into account that he didn't really mention. Um, but yeah, he's, he's uh, basically what he said on the show is what he does. So he doesn't know how to use R or anything like that. Hmm. Pat, I mean, you, you said too, like it's hard that the the market isn't big. I mean, you talk about run the Sims on your channel and you promote it. Like, what is the feedback from the people who just come to watch the ranking shows, the the start sit stuff? Like, has it been hard to kind of turn those guys into wanting to use the sim tools, or has that just been a lost cause? I mean, to, for your like stay, like I mean, Celia and I have been doing the ranking show every week during football for the past 10 years now like that audience is just not like they didn't want to use the free projections like to build your <laughs> rankings beforehand like they just yeah. want to know why is this guy ranked at seven and this guy ranked at eight how could you possibly do that like it's just like you mentioned like it's like the xm audience it's the very top of the funnel and it's always important to have those shows because you know one of 50 people that you bring in from those shows you can then filter into the harder core shows like by the time we get to friday and it's me and tambo in studio talking through correlated lineups like that audience is just much smaller than the audience of start or sit this guy like you kind of pointed out but it's a completely different audience in the same way so it's much easier to sell a sims product or a dfs product to the people that are there to watch dfs like i, I try to always go back i've been playing in the same keeper league with my friends now for almost 20 years and Zero percent of people outside of me have a DFS subscription and they'll fire at DraftKings every single week, but they just want to pick their picks and play their 25 bucks and move on. Yeah. You know, I'll say this, Pete, to kind of there is a little um, I don't know what the word is um, talking past each other here where I don't think we were. I definitely wasn't ever claiming that everyone is going to use Sims. Yeah. I'm more saying that, you know, you don't want a certain percentage of dedicated, smart guys getting their hands on these tools. It, it'll hurt more and it'll be like an outsized disproportional hurt to your yeah. EV. Um, yeah, I didn't think like, you know, Johnny make, makes his lineups on a toilet guy is going, you know, to be spending $300 on Sims to put in his five lineups he makes a month, you know. But, right. Uh, there's some good players who who now have access to better tools, and that and that hurts, you know. Well, where are you, Pat? Just in general, on because it's trying to figure out like is DFS, you know, still growing, you know, as a market. I mean, I know my Friday strategy shows with JM, they're getting more views than they ever did last year, and partly because my channel's a little bit bigger, but it's like double the views, not you know a perfect you know ratio to how big my channel was last year. So you know, in that regard, I'm like, is is DFS still growing, or am I just like landing on that specific niche where that hits so well? You might be landing on that. Like my shows have plateaued over the years, but I've had my shows a lot longer at the same time too. So when people see your show for the first time, you're like, wow, this is way better. I'm going to stop watching Pat's show and start watching this one. So you're just taking my audience from me a lot of the time. <laughs> but like the audio numbers continue to soar 
for the DraftKings show. It's a later in the week type show. And even the one that I do on the weekends by myself, and listen, I've never proclaimed to be some sort of DFS genius, but I can read a spreadsheet and be like, hey, these guys are going to be chalk. And that's some people don't want to subdue a site to know or have the intuitive ability to look at the slate and be like, oh, Miles Sanders is out. Chuba, Chuba Hubbard is 5,100. Everyone's going to play him. Some people just don't know that. And I think that's yeah. the part that we forget about sometimes because everyone who watches these shows and interacts in the chat and leaves comments and engages with you guys on Twitter, they know. But I again, I think it's just a... And Brian, I didn't want to mean like a, it seems like everyone is using Sims, but even just doing like three shows in a row, four shows in a row and having you guys, well, you guys have a big show and you guys are talking about it. It makes it seem like it's a lot more prevalent than maybe it is. Even if you like, even if it's 1% of people doing it, like that still might even be high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm just saying 1% is like, that's the people who win. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You don't want to uh, add another 1% to that. Winner um, doesn't use Sims right here. There you go. There you go. I mean, I, and also I'm kind of uh, coming at it from a selfish angle. I, I think our last shows too, I don't know. Tell me, you guys tell me what, what do you think about this? They, uh, they've hurt Sims. Uh, I was telling uh, Levitan, he should just pull ETR because, you know, if the best players don't use Sims like Yuna and whistles go, woo. I mean, why even have it on his site? He needs to take that, take it off, you know? I, I like the well, selfish angle you're providing here. That's good. Subterfuge. Yeah, that, that's that's Brian's long con to talk about Sims so much that people hate hearing about it and don't even want to think about using one. And then that's how he keeps people out of using similar tools as him. He fires Leone because of me. Like, we just don't need you anymore. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it is like that dynamic too, when you do get really in the weeds, like I know the ETR guys talked about that with the, it was the Raheem Mostert week a couple weeks ago was a great play. Everyone knew he was going to be chalk and they were kind of under his projected ownership at like 30%. And then their SIM product says like, Hey, he's an awesome play at this. Then he comes in at 65% and he's not as good of a play in that reality. Obviously he smashes, but then like they, I think they kind of corrected for that last week with Kenneth Walker. They came in really high on Kenneth Walker's ownership. I think they had him projected at 50%. And then he wasn't grading out as well in the sim. So there is this like leveling thing too that people talk about. And I'm sure the same thing happens with run the sims. You spit out the top EV lineups there on sim runner. And it's like, well, if 20 people use that lineup, that EV is no longer exists. Yeah, of course. And I, I just choose not to pay attention to this stuff because I'm playing... <laughs> wildly different tournaments like i'm not playing like, i never play the millionaire maker I, I i build lineups on the show and throw them in the five dollar for like shits and giggles and then i'll go back and pick the one that i want in the 150 uh, i started playing king of the beach qualifiers just to fuck with tambo to see if i could qualify before he did um and then we qualified at the same time which was kind of hilarious and then but i usually just play you know, a large a smaller field hundred dollar entry maybe a two hundred dollar entry that has like max 222 people in it. I'll play in the 740, 150 every single week in my contest and a few private contests that I play with friends and like listeners every single week. But that's really it. Um, I've just gotten so much more down in the weeds, especially now that we have this prop sniper tool at Run the Sims that just I, I just fire at props all week. And I play enough same game parlays that I haven't been limited yet. I did just pull up your your lineup here. Now you say you you're, you're ignoring the sim stuff, but we do get a shout out to run the Sims in this tweet. How how was this lineup actually constructed here? Uh, basically, I just I went and ran the optimals at run okay. the Sims to see what the top projections are, and then obviously most 
optimal lineups that you're going to get through an optimizer aren't going to be correlated in any single way. And I have found like I came second and third in the 150 last year and did be like second, third and ninth. I think were my best with a single entry in the three max over 18 weeks. And I think I came in last the other weeks that I didn't come inside the top 10. And basically I just overload one game. Uh, and just roll with that. So I tried to figure out what the best way, the most upside was on one team and still be able to make my teams go through it. So when I looked at the projections, Bryce Young wasn't the quarterback that was coming through, but it was like, you need to jam Mostert. You need to jam Chuba Hubbard. Like, well, if I'm going to jam those two guys, what if I just overloaded in that one game? And Bryce Young was good enough to save me all that money. Um, And so was Logan Thomas that I was able to fit everything else in. And the best optimal play on the slate was Kyron Williams, who was killing me in the first half. And then I think they ran it with him 23 straight times to open the second. And that was good enough. And you, know, you get lucky sometimes that you play in the right qualifier or the right tournament, because you know this lineup in, you know sweeps the other ones by like 20 points. And I think I won by like a point in that yeah. one. So I, I just try to stick to small field tournaments that are either single or three max entry. And I don't know, Brian, you'd be able to figure that out better than me, but I just don't feel like I'm playing. I have access to the Sims, obviously, but I think I would just be kind of wasting my time a lot of the time if I'm trying to account for what's going to happen in this 222-man tournament. Like, I feel like a lot of the time those tournaments just come down to pick the best picks. Yeah, because it's, it's smaller. There's less uh, combos you're against, so you don't need to get as crazy. And it's harder to predict a field like that and um, as opposed to, like, a large field. You're just trying to predict, like, Kenny's macro, you know, uh, you know, 38% of Moser, you know, and like whatever. And you just hope it's kind of close where the smaller field, it will lead you more astray because you don't really know what those 223 other lineups are going to look like. So it's definitely, if you're a brain player, uh, you'd want, you'd, you'd much rather play the smaller, smaller fields, smaller fields. You can bet more too, because it's less swingy, but even 220 is swingy, <laughs> you know, believe it or not in DFS because they're so top heavy. So you could lose for a while, even there, the, the high, the, the huge ones are just lifelong swingy. Like there's just not, you just got to get super lucky uh, to, to win those. And so like, instead of betting $200, you should be betting like $5, you know, or, you know, like, or, or maybe even less, um, in those ones, like for the brain player, I, I think like their last eight shows or whatever, though, has really been a, I don't know, a win for the brain players. Like all these good players come on and if they're being truthful, you know, like they, they make plays, they have this, you know, they have, um, they, they have decisions that they make and they adjust based on what they see or think or listen to. And it's like they kind of prove that that's the way to go. Um, I, my only pushback is I just don't think most people are capable of that. And so it kind of like leads people astray. Sure. But all the people that you're normally talking to are just playing with such a giant bankroll most of the time that uh, do, do we have a better sense that these guys are always printing every single week or can they take enough shots doing their method that, not eventually they're going to get it right because obviously they're good at it, but their way is going to work one in 17 weeks. And if it works two in 17 weeks, they seem like the greatest player on earth. Yeah. But I mean, some of these guys have been playing for like a decade. Sure. Or maybe they just have better numbers than everyone else does. There's that. Matt, are you trying to say that if you had 150 lineups, you'd win too? <laughs> uh, I mean, as someone who tried that once, I can assure you that is not the case. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's ultimately what this has been illuminating for me too, Brian, like bringing on a lot of these players and saying like, yeah, maybe I'm doing some Sims adjacent type stuff, but they have their own kind of advanced, sophisticated processes that they built out on their own. And a lot of this for me with the Sim stuff comes back to like the players on my level where it's helping us level up our play. Like I don't have the time or the brains to build an advanced, sophisticated process, but these Sims can give me a bit of an access to that. Um, but you're still going to need to marry the brains and all of those other elements that we hear Yuda and Petty Theft bring to the table. That's what ultimately separates them. And so, Brian, I'm going to put this back on you because you were very doom and gloom initially. Have you considered becoming more of a brain player? Have you considered knowing ball a little bit more, learning how to pronounce the Atlanta Falcons? Is that going to be an element to your game that you step up? Mm. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I thought about it like for like, you know, 30 seconds or so. And I turned on YouTube. I'm like, what's on here? Um, <laughs> I did though, uh, start doing my own NFL ownership, like a couple of adjustments. I'm thinking about adding that might make it a little more predictive because I stopped doing that before. Um, and if I was going to do my projections though, it'd be more similar to what my they were before, which is more historical data based, like a sabermetrics kind of way to do it. So I don't, I just don't see the point in it. And yeah, I don't, I I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't love the takes, you know, like to kind of take like Pat's point about, you know, he wasn't saying play, uh, I would win if I play 150, but bankroll does matter. And there, there is some truth to that, that, I think this happens with all professional gamblers is we all got lucky kind of like we got lucky early. We didn't go broke right away and get discouraged. And I think that happened in poker too. And when, you know, when you run like semi hot, that is super, super beneficial. And also a guy who runs like ridiculously hot, like you think a large field Millie, you know, like that something that should happen once every thousand years or something, uh, you know, now you could start playing stakes you wouldn't play before and have more chances to make mistakes and learn. So like there is like a luck component to that, that cohort of people, but they do all seem to be pretty smart, you know, and have some good ideas that no one else is doing whenever I talk to them behind the scenes. Um, so, um, I, I, maybe like, you know, there would be like a thousand guys like that, but it just turns out because of luck, only 800 of them win something like that. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think that's well said. And I didn't mean to diminish like the capabilities of a lot of these players. Obviously they're very good players, but, and to kind of juxtapose that, like I know a lot of rich people that have gone and be like, well, I have a, here's $200,000. It's nothing to me. I'm going to go win at DraftKings. And then like three weeks later, they're out of $200,000. Like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Just a lot of rich people who jump in trying to do it and they can't do it. So when you think about a large bank, a large bankroll just allows you to absorb those downswings, I think, and not have to lower your stakes or whatever it might be to continue. Like if you think that you're a good player or you know that you're a good player and the numbers kind of prove that out that, yeah, I mean, if, if, what, if you're not playing, I mean, I'm sure everyone is playing every micro slate that there is when you're at that level, you know, early NFL, late NFL, main slate showdown, whatever it might be. But I always think about it in terms of golf, Brian, that like you can run really bad in golf for four months and just be like, 
I, I don't know if I'm doing anything right or wrong. Golf is a golf's a son of a bitch. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, Ricky D I, I, I don't think he'll mind. He, he DM me like a year or two ago and he's like, no one wins at golf. Golf's unbeatable. <laughs> and then, and then of course he maxes everything the very next day. Like he still plays it. Um, but, uh, uh, although I, I've ran bad like for six, eight months and golf included and haven't binked anything in golf in a while. But before that, though, I was like, I don't know, I'm winning. <laughs> so it's like maybe, 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 uh, maybe it's just you. But like there's I think what was happening in golf, if I could be perfectly honest, is it was just so new that there was just a lot of donkeys and not a lot of information. And that was mainly your edge is it's really popular. But yet people are just making a lot of lineups on their toilet, like especially three, four years ago. And there was no like reliable projections. They were, you know, the I think even like people weren't even looking at like the Vegas odds when they were building their lineups in 2017, you know. So like I, I think it was just people playing worse. And this, this is another kind of side point of Sims and just tools in general. Just because Osmo released his projections, whatever, six years ago doesn't mean DFS was dying. But it does raise – it makes it a little bit harder, you know. And every tool that gets better and better makes it a little bit harder. It's not like there's ever going to be a solve button, you know, solve, and then it's like, oh, no one can win. But, um, I mean, the, the, but they actually might be able to get closer than you think in, like, the easier ones like Showdown or MMA or something like that. But um, that's what I'm saying is, like, you know, every little step makes it a little bit harder to win. And then that takes away like a lot of guys who wouldn't, who might've played, don't, don't want to play average players lose faster, all these sort of negative, negative issues. Do you think can... there, there ever is a guy? I remember talking about this in basketball, not that I'm a huge basketball fan, but when the warriors started shooting threes and absolutely obliterating everyone and the entire league shifted to every way we need to space. We need to shoot threes. We need to play three and D like these are the most valuable guys that you can have. I remember doing a show with someone was like, isn't there just going to be an inevitable swing back to big men are going to dominate because everyone is little on the floor. And that's kind of happened. And then we'll see a shift away from that again, that since the bar has been raised and most people are working off out kind of the same numbers, that isn't there some sort of, maybe not an edge, but maybe a better but maybe you give yourself a better chance to be in a position to get lucky, Brian, that if your numbers are slightly tweaked a little bit, just like, hey, here are the numbers that I've run. But I know that everyone's working off basically these same numbers that a few tweaks here, a few tweaks there just to be different might be worth it if that many people are using the same numbers now. I mean, I've heard I've heard that argument many times. I would say it might be true early on here, but like eventually they should be adjusting for that. Like that should be adjusted for in the sim process, and then it would adjust the fields. And here we are talking about sims again. But like, <laughs> so like any concern you have, it's just code, right? Like they can edit the code and and then and then change for that. And like you can kind of easily more think about this in like MMA or Showdown, where a lineup should have like three three dupes, but uh, you know five years ago it'll only have one. So now that lineup's really good to enter. But with someone using a good sim process, they're going to start directing them more to these low duped lineups. And now your one dupe lineup's duped four times and it sucks. Yeah. You know? People are frustrated by all of this. I recommend buying the Run the Sims new tool, the Prop Sniper, because everyone can win doing that. We can win together. There I look at that. I, I've been using it too. And, and your underdog tool just for, for flagging. Uh, 
different uh, numbers to put into entries. I have been enjoying that. But I do think like speaking of like the transition to sports betting with that, I do think it's analogous, right? Where there's like the just being good at DFS, like you make a good lineup or you make a good bet. But now the most important thing in almost both of those arenas are like the soft skills that surround that. Like so much of being a profitable better too is like basically disguising your advantage play, having whether it's like different accounts or being on different books or mixing in spread bets so you don't get labeled as a as a shark that gets limited. And there's all these ancillary skills you need to be a long-term successful sports better in the same way now with DFS, the bankroll management, the contest selection. You can make the most beautiful lineups in the world. And if you just put it in the Millie Maker every week, you're never going to realize your ROI. So I do think that is like another level to that conversation is there's so much more than just making the good better, the good pick now that ultimately matters to your long-term success. I mean, I, I could agree with that. I have, yeah. I, I don't know if Matt, uh, Pat, you have uh, any thoughts on that, but I, I do have an, uh, an idea I want to share. I don't know if uh, I'm all ears. Okay. So, I think I've talked about this before. I want to do this myself, but I've realized I'm never going to fucking do it. So why not just put it out there in the world? So the issue I see with these these prop content sites and sports books in America is getting money down, right? So you can get money down until you get limited. And if all you're betting is props and stuff, like you can get limited even faster, and what they do to get around this, although they're betting sides and totals generally, are syndicates where they just get a whole bunch of accounts of people, say, hey, can I use your account? I'm going to bet for you. And then, you know, give that person a share, right? So I think there needs to be some sort of social social network maybe tied to some crypto, con- you know, contract where people can buy in to a, a pool that's automated and you could just basically sell your account and then, and then this pool runs off of it, you know, and bets, it bets your account. Um, like, so like my idea was kind of like you get, like you do it through crypto. And so like people could like put like, first of all, you'd have to have an app that would automate it that they'd have to download and use on their, on their site. And then it would just push through bets and you have like a thousand accounts, right? Just like a syndicate. You know, and then a prop line dra- drafts, drops, it analyzes, you bet it, or maybe you wait and you wait till the, the lines get bigger or whatever, you know, try to disguise the play. You don't, don't do it on all, all the accounts, all the tricks the syndicate would use. So that's all automated. The problem is, though, like these people are just going to pocket your money, right? You can't do this at mass scale. So if you, but you could do it kind of through crypto where they put like a deposit down and then if they don't pay it, you keep it. You know what I'm saying? So like you could kind of hold them through uh, on a con- contractually through a, a smart cri- uh, contract on, on ETH, something like that. I, I messaged Andy about this, Pete. Uh, yeah. You know, and briefly talked to him about it. But um, I don't know. I think some uh, and, and maybe that, you know, that is not a good idea. But like the model of, you know, we're going to release this prop line. You know, everyone hit it when they can get it, which is pretty much what they're kind of doing. Because even if you just release your all your numbers at once, like Run the Sims does and and Osmo does or Stochastic does, like it, it's still going to be bought out pretty quick by the guys. You know, the ten guys who are you know sitting at their computer and really grinding. 
but you can make a lot more if you just get all the accounts and then time it. What do you and think, Pat? You ready to organize this idea? I mean, I, I, I'm not. Once you started saying about like smart wallet, crypto automation, like <laughs> I'm, I'll give you the money and you can help me make my money off of that. It was like that lottery thing that I sent you last night where the, the people had won the lottery so many times, they just started taking other people's money to buy into it, to buy more lottery tickets. Yeah. Uh, and everyone got paid out in the end, as it turned out. But right. I, I think what you're talking about, I mean, it's no different than what you're talking about is something like at a syndicate level of people who jump in and play for huge stakes. Like that's a point zero 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 one percent problem for people getting money down at sports books right now. People just want to bet props and bet games and have fun with it. Most, most people who are in the market. Well, yeah. because you're you're definitely on both sides of the spectrum right with on golf you'll give your outrights your your long bomb like picks and then people just want the picks they just want to tail you have the same sweat and then you also provide the prop sniper tool which is like hey this is the resource this is the tool we'll teach you how to fish you go and build your own stuff so like there is room for both sides of those but i'm guessing people just tailing whatever you say on the show is the one that has a, a far higher uh i don't know just success rate of converting people yeah it, it's sort of like the inverse of profitability. So a thousand to one people just tail my outright bets in golf. Whereas if they had just subbed to like fantasy national and done their own work, they'd probably be far more successful because they're probably better at researching than I am or making picks than I am. It's the same thing for football bets. I'll give out football bets. People are like, Hey, I'm tailing Pat. And I'm telling you like, Hey, go to run the Sims. They have real numbers that like you can fool around with and you can make your own educated decisions. You'll be more profitable. People don't want to do that. They just want the picks. And yeah. mine's like, I'm not really talking about your average Joe, obviously. I'm no, saying yeah, you're talking about the very high level, almost like no, the very I, high I'm level just, of DFS too. It's just kind of a new idea, like a social network syndicate. So instead yeah. of the syndicate being run by Rufus Peabody and his buddies or Spanky and his, his minions, you do it uh, more broadly, you know, on a wider scale instead of, uh, but, but like I said, but the issue would be, you can't trust anybody like anyone who's ever staked people in poker or anything like that. Like you're never, you're not, you're not going to get like 30% of your money back all the time. But like, yeah. uh, it, so it would, like, it would, it would work well if you started it with like four people that you knew, like, Hey, let's say me, you, Pete and Davis went in on it and we all threw money into it. That could work. And then we expanded to 10 people that could potentially work. But I think once you get past a small group, you're absolutely right. You have no, there's no accountability anymore. People could just pocket the money and take off. Well, yeah, well, a syndicate, syndicates obviously work because they've been doing them for decades. So that's not an argument, right? The I'm saying, like, could you do it through, like, in a social way where hundreds, thousands of people can show up? And one of the reasons I'm kind of interested in it is because, like, I just I, I can't stand the, system, the current system and the way it's going and, you know, the way I think it's going which is, you know, less and less sports books. Books will be closed down because there's no complication. It's super overly regulated and they ban people and limit people. And I, you know, and fuck them, you know? So like I, I'd be, you know, I would love to give my account up to somebody who would be willing to grind all the ETR props and run the Sims props and whatever, as they come out and just go like, go to town kid, you know, you want to sit there and do this and you could automate the, all that. And get and then like get like such a amount of people in this kind of social network syndicate that that like the books would be like they're like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> you know what I mean and but like that's why the smart contract idea comes in and look hey if there's another idea that's better than that that's more traditional I don't care I'm just throwing the idea out there that 
I, you know, I, like who, like, would you, re- I mean, I don't know, like someone would rather pay for ETR's prop program and then sit there and wait on their computer until it gets a release and like, oh, here comes the release. And then I got to open up the, all the way. Okay. Which one is the better line? I want to put it in there. You know, you just rather fucking automate it. Who cares? Like, I, I, I mean, that might be exciting for some people, but like, and then, and then it's actually probably negative too, because they probably get hundreds of emails like, oh, that line was gone instantly. Why am I paying for this? You know, that as soon as you release the line, I can't get any money down. You know, you got, why don't you tell me one time early? You know, I bet that stuff happens all the time. It's pretty annoying. I bet, you know, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, a social network syndicate would be awesome if, if you could pull it off where it's trustless. All yeah. of this is it- so far over my head. It is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, it's because it's like the equivalent of like an idea like this. It is comparable to talking about, you know, the guys with advanced, sophisticated processes with DFS versus. Oh, no, no. I, I, I understand the concept behind it. But like, yeah, yeah. if you came and pitched that to me, I'd be like, can I just give you some money? And like, you can <laughs> be in on this. Like, you figure out the logistics of it. I'll sit back here and like, hopefully it works. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think getting money would be hard at all. Yeah. Like if I yeah. laid this, if this, I got this working and just posted on Twitter. People would hey, like to buy into something like this. I, sure. I, th- thousands of guys we know who follow us. Yeah. Like, I'm put, I'll put a thousand in there. I'll put 10,000 in there. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, crypto would be, you know, the, the roadblock for, for a lot of folks, but like, yeah. yeah and I don't know. Um, somebody was saying like, this is illegal or something. I'm sure they, uh, I'm sure they know all the laws, but like, obviously, like I wouldn't be now that I've said it publicly, like if it was illegal, I wouldn't be associated with it, you know, like, but like, um, I mean, I, I I do think there is an interesting philosophical discussion of whether that type of stuff is moral at all. Um, My argument is, I think it is basically moral because they're in bed with the government and they're fucking you anyway. So like, uh, you know, I mean, I've personally been limited. So like, you know, yeah. Fuck them. But if there was no government, I would say it's pretty immoral to to run a syndicate like that, like they do. Well, I think to the difference, right? And maybe this is a very obvious point, but like people would view that as an investment opportunity and they could see why that could work out. But at the end of the day, 99% of people want a sports bet because they want to have a sweat. You know, and if you're like, hey, we're betting like Bulgarian ping pong today as our big whale play with the syndicate, and I can't get up at 3 a.m. to watch that, they're like, well, I don't get any sweat equity or entertainment equity out of that, which is why, like Ed Miller, when he's been, I listen to him on Blender's podcast too, and he's saying the number one thing the books get the most is why don't you have this? They never care about the line or where it was originated or whatever. They just, I want to bet higher. I want to bet over on this thing because I'm going to be watching it and I want to root for that thing to happen, which remains the core thing that's the majority of sports bettors want that's yeah, that's I, a benefit I, of doing the social contract though sorry pat like if you <laughs> if you do it through the so the uh the uh, the smart contract they can still bet on their own and and because they already we already have the, the money locked up in this contract and if they blow you know blow their uh, bankroll it's like yeah sorry this is our ten thousand based on this contract but yeah um they but also that that masks the play so their donkey plays at two in the morning, drunk with their buddies on Australian horse betting. You know, I've never done that personally uh, <laughs> this week, but um, yeah, that masks the play. So that actually would make their account last longer. It's like a great, that's perfect. You want to do that. I, I know a lot of people who would have like accounts you would want to buy. Yeah. <laughs> See, Pat, that's, 
that's your value add to this syndicate is you round up all the dusty sports bettors uh, for us and, and get them going here. Yeah, basically anyone who watches my show just like, hey, if you want to sell your account and put it into the syndicate, like it, it is like the opposite of flag. Like you want action from these people. They, they right. will be giving it back at 3 a.m. doing whatever. I'm actually kind of surprised. And I think, Brian, you pointed this out too. And it's something that I, I've always hit on. And I mainly said it about golf because golf can last four days if you play on it or betting outright or something. But I think you were talking about it with Davis that you know, for 99% of people, this is just an entertainment proposition. It is for me too. Like I, I love to bet on sports. I find it entertaining. Uh, obviously my job is to make content around it. It is not to be a professional better or a professional DFS player. And I think that's a pretty big distinction between some creators and other creators. And some people foolishly pass themselves off as pros when they're not pros. And I think that's really stupid, but if you can you know, get down a hundred bucks on golf on Thursday and that lasts you through Sunday, like, your ROI, just on the entertainment factor of that wager, that that hundred dollars is more long lasting than most things. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like the, the gambling syndicate thing, Sims, all this stuff is for a small portion of the uh, you know gambling entertainment world for sure. But I it, completely agree, gambling is one hundred percent entertainment. Well, I mean, this is for people like you who, you know, you just want to sit back and collect your money, not have to work anymore. And just this is what you can do. Create a system, have it do the work for you, and then you can do whatever you want with your time. It sounds great, actually. Sure. But I mean, if you're running it, uh, it would probably be an extremely, extreme amount of uh, hard work and hours put in. But yeah, if you could get um, an account on there, you'd make money. Probably not enough to sit back on your laurels and not have a job, but you'd probably make five, 10, 20 grand. Who knows? Well, I do think that's one of the interesting things, even talking to some of these DFS players, and you referenced the joke about Ricky D, you know, saying that, you know, you can't win in this and then maxing it out, is there is this push-pull with these guys who are advantage players plus EV players, you know, the best of the best. And even when they know their edge is maybe drying up or not quite there, they're still degenerates. They still want action at the end of the day. And that's, to me, what's so fascinating is when do you actually plug or pull the plug? When do you actually say, my North Star is just EV hunting that ROI, and when that exists no more, I'm done. But I think it's probably hard because at the end of the day, these guys love playing DFS. It's fun for them, the action, and it's hard for them to step away from that even if their edge is diminished. And even to go on top of that, like you don't, I mean, Brian, you must know like the highest level of whatever it is between DFS or poker or gambling that you probably have a lot of these people that came up early, had a huge edge, were really good. And most of the time, if you get to that level, regardless of what the profession is, but especially in gambling, like there's a, you know, a bit of ego, a bit of arrogance that goes along with it, or you just never take that leap to begin with that once that edge dries up, and it kind of reverts the other way and you're no longer the sharp player five years later, whatever it might be. Is it, does it take a long time to realize that? Or do you just be like, could you attribute it to like, Oh, I'm just on a bad streak right now, bad variance. But eventually you get to the point where you must've seen some great players run out of money at some point. Sure. Of course. That's yeah. definitely, definitely happened. I, um, I mean, it's tough poker. What happened in poker really was they just made it legal. <laughs> so, a lot of guys didn't just run out of money. They just ran out of the ability to play. So, um, but there's tons of stories of people get, going broke, but also get, going broke through getting cheated. It's not just variance, you know. Uh, you could get, you could be getting, um, you know, getting cheated. There's a whole bunch of different ways. But I mean, if you read any gambling book, every great gambler's gone broke a few times. 
You know? Why didn't more people move after the poker ban? Like either to Mexico or Canada or Europe, if it if it was like that much for them. Yeah, I thought about it. I didn't I didn't move, but I would was really looking. Um I didn't want to go to Canada because it's too cold. Don't you live in Chicago? And, yeah, yeah, I know. But like well, yeah. like and and you know, your friends and family, of course. Yeah. Um but uh that was definitely I didn't feel like moving to Canada and I, I was looking and like, I didn't, and I'm like, where am I going to go? Like the sunny Island of Antigua? Like um, it's pretty goddamn far away, you know? So like, it just wasn't, uh, it's just too much. Like, and, and also I'd been playing for like seven, eight years by that point. And I'm like, fuck, let's just do something else. Let's just do something else. And then there's also this carrot of, of two, there's two carrots. One, you, you know, I was an idiot. And, and thought and, or naive and thought that they would pass a bill to make it AmericanPoker.com, right? I thought for sure, like, why wouldn't they want this money? I didn't understand how things worked at, back then. And uh, so I waited around for a while for that. I figured, what, six months, a year, they're going to have a poker site up. Boom. You know, they just wanted their cut. You know, that was my thought in 2011. And then um, in the meantime, there's still the rogue poker sites that you could play on. So there was like, uh, what was it, Black Chip Poker? There was a bunch of them on the Merge Network back then. This is going back for the real ones. Um, and they still gave rake back. So it's like I could even break even against these, all these pros and get five grand a month in rake back, you know, and I don't need to move, you know, to Vancouver. I mean, Tor Toronto would have been, I mean, I, as someone who lived in Toronto for ages, I did a bit, a bit, a bit of business in Chicago. It's like an hour flight from like Toronto city to Midway and the weather is exactly the same. In fact, it might be warmer in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Toronto probably would have made some sense. Yeah. But the I problem, mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of Canadians in Canada. That is true. <laughs> You're talking to, to the guy who, who, who uh, turns down any of his live final, you know, right. seats and trips and all of this. I mean, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here, Pat. Have, have you ever gone to any of the live finals, Brian? No. Ever? Not one? Mm-mm. Interesting. Okay. I'm hoping I make it to the one in Miami. That'd be fun. It would be. Uh, not not to do a, a real uh, harsh change of subjects here, but I'm curious, Pat, what are your thoughts on Twitter handicappers? Because they, they exist on a spectrum. They're not all the same, but it is like a fascinating ecosystem within the sports betting space. They're giving the people what they want, giving you the picks in the easiest way possible. So you're pro, you're pro Twitter I mean, gapper. It's not for me, but I could see that if Pat Mayo was 23 and restarting over in this business again, that I could see that being a path that I would take. Yeah, I think it's a way, especially imagine if you got hot for like two weeks, yeah. how profitable that would be to your brand. Well, it's crazy because I, I, I see a few of them pop up on my feed and they'll do the thing like, do you want to, who wants to play tonight? Who wants to play tonight? It's there's like 200 replies, like in the comments, like, okay, that was a rhetorical question. Everyone wants to play tonight. It is just kind of like that sports betting element just distilled down to it's like rawest form of like, literally give me the thing to click to put in. I don't even care where you came up with the idea. If it's available at another place for a better price, like I just want what is, is it just like the encouragement to make it? Because anyone can log into a sports book and literally bet on anything they want, but they want the the tout to give them the stamp of approval. 
Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it's not necessarily you want the, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to get action in, but don't feel very comfortable or confident in the way that they can pick things. So they want someone else who they feel has a bit more expertise to give you the pick. Although yeah. I think that people would tell you that playing a five pick 20 to one slip is probably not the best way to achieve your EV. I mean, it's possible if there's like five bad numbers on the board that you would want to put those together. But you know, generally speaking, no, that's probably not the case. But they also want someone to blame. And it's the one thing that I've really noticed being in this business as long as I've been in it, that people want to listen to you because they don't want to be accountable for making the wrong decision. They want to blame you. That's part of this job is taking people's shit. That's a really good point to it. That these that's the flip side, right? You you gotta take the good with the bad because then these guys get absolutely slammed uh when they're <laughs> when they're not on a heater. Oh yeah, like if you and it's funny because it's less so now for me because it's main it's weird because it's mainly the people who bet the ten dollars on underdog and prize picks, you know, bet a first touchdown that doesn't hit at like 20 to one or something like that. I notice in golf at the beginning of every year when new golf people come, it's like, well, oh, I can't believe you haven't hit an outright winner in two weeks. It's like if you hit like four a year, you're out money. Like this is how the game is played. And they're not good bets to begin with. They're just fun bets. But those are the people, the start sit people in season long fantasy. Like the hardcore DFS player is probably not taking your word as gospel anyway. But if you know someone came at me like last week, hey, with uh now that DK is out on the late slot slate, do I switch to JSN or do I go somewhere in the DK price range. And if I had said like, oh, you want to switch to, you know, if you didn't have Lockett and you switched to Lockett instead of JSN, that was a wrong choice. But people who are asking those questions are asking because they not necessarily are going to take your advice on it, but they just want to hear a different opinion. And they hold themselves accountable for that. It's really weird. Like the more serious the player, obviously this should be somewhat intuitive, that they're not going to just arbitrarily blame you or be angry when something that is a coin flip or something that is wildly minus EV loses and isn't the right decision. Whereas other guy who, you know, for the five picks hit, I didn't win. Fuck you is kind of, <laughs> what you get. <laughs> it is interesting. They're, they're my, I, I think there's also a decent percentage of those people who are just morons, you know, oh, and yeah. we'll just, and just, they'll be like, think that your pick is 100% going to win and can't believe that it didn't win. And well, they're like, you know, I, lazy. I even get comments on my Friday stream and I, I literally offer the caveat every single week. And I didn't even know I had to, but people, we build a lineup at the end of the show because people like that, but it's meant to be like, just seeing how the pieces come together. We call it a practice build or whatever. And I'll get comments of like, played this lineup in the Millie maker and I didn't win anything. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, <laughs> like we built this for a small field contest. Second of all, it was built on a Friday before half of the slate was ruled out and all of the points per dollar projections changed and all of this stuff. But like it does, it always blows my mind that they literally want the answer to the test. They want oh. a single lineup that was made on stream to, to be their main lineup. And thirdly, don't dupe me, bro. What the fuck? And yes. And also don't dupe me. Don't worry. I'm not duping myself on a Did lineup. Did you not I say that? Did you not? You have to explicitly say, don't dupe me, bro. This is actually on you. It is on me. He should have won that million. But it's not you, financial advice. Don't do me. Do, do you notice it on Sirius a lot though? Like you said, like the questions of like, Hey, like those, there's no question I've hated more over the years than, Hey, do you think I'm going to win? Here's who, here's who's left. It's like, I don't fucking know, man. You'll either win I, or lose. That's what's going to happen. I've turned it into a bit. 
Uh, I do this bit called percentage Pete where I act like a robot and I give a hyper specific percentage chance that they're going to have to win. And so now people call in for the percentage Pete, like chances. I lost it the other day, Pat, because someone called in with a start set and I'm like tracking and I'm like, yeah, you're probably a decent favorite. And then he says, oh, and my opponent has Fred Warner. And it was like some IDP league. And I'm like, what, what do you think that I am going to know? Like even how your league scorings are factoring in tackles, a game I don't even play. And you want to give me a percentage chance on how you're going to do in your IDP league. I mean, these people are crazy, Pat. This makes me think that the social network sports betting syndicate would be an absolute <laughs> smash. Oh, you you could have about this. Uh, I'll I'll fund it and I'll find someone to build it, but you have to handle customer service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would be like Captain Jack in like one day. <laughs> I mean, oh, out my, my social media would be de de deleted. Uh, Pat, what a you know, help us get back to our our gossip uh, roots here. You mentioned Feinberg likes that angle. What what what's the best gossip going in DFS? What was the story? Uh, that captivated everyone's attention. What do we need to do to get this next one going? I, I don't know, because that's not really my scene. I try to really remain Switzerland with all this stuff. Like I was texting with Big T this morning. I'm doing a show with Tambo tomorrow. <laughs> like uh, I just try to remain friendly with everyone. I think Tambo is running a live show in like 10 minutes on my own media network uh, with Ship It Nation, uh, doing the showdown stuff today. Um, so I don't know. I, I try to support as many people as I can without taking any of the bullets for any of this stuff. I just don't want to know and to keep me out of it. But like Feinberg would be like your gossip correspondent. Like he would yeah. get into people's DMs. Like he would figure it out. He's who you want here. <laughs> okay. What I will say, I mean, you kind of just teed me up for it. And normally I ask this at the very end here, but I mean, I have to pin down Switzerland. Team Run Pure Sports or Team Ship It Nation? Well, right now it's Team Ship It Nation. Um, you know, they're running programming on Mayo Media Network. Code Mayo. <laughs> get, get yourself, uh, get Pat some affiliate money uh, with code Mayo over at shipitnation.com. But I, I've always had, like, I think I've said this on this show before, that I always wanted my network to be sort of a place where other sites could come. And, you know, if they, if, like, obviously they have their own channels and Run Pure ran because uh, it was with Tambo at the time. Um, and Tambo and I are friends and we live by each other. That's why it makes more sense to do work with Tambo. <laughs> it just makes a lot easier for me uh, being local to me. But they were doing the DraftKings showdown stuff because like I didn't have the bandwidth to do PGA DraftKings showdown every night. Uh, and he was doing the videos over at Run Pure. And I talked to the Run Pure guys and I was like, look, like instead of running it on your channel for your subs, just get your subs to come over to my channel and sub to my channel. If it's a free show anyway, then you have access to all my audience who is interested in this stuff. And maybe you can sell some subs that way. And I, I think it's a mutually beneficial agreement that you know I was running with them, that I'm running with Ship It right now. And if there's other places out there, like it's not exclusive by any means that I, I have this audience of people who really want to get into this stuff be it any sport that if there are sites out there that want to do shows and even if it's once if they run shows seven days a week and they want to run a a tuesday show on mayo media network if i like the show enough then yeah go at it have access to my audience that's what it's there for from that side it makes a ton of sense and i did i did a show for your channel a couple years ago when i did the the deal with run the sims and i did the uh the first look salary show on your channel i'm always curious at it from like a youtube like algorithm standpoint like how people respond to someone like if i put you know i, I did it a, a little bit i had the uh the guys in my discord the NGMI guys who are doing a lot of nft stuff i had them host a show on on my channel a little bit but i always wear is it weird having a non-pat mayo show under a pat mayo youtube channel like how does the audience respond to that in general 
It depends. Like Brett Apley has done a video for us since the inception of Mayo Media Network to go along with our UFC show. He does like a DraftKings short video, like 10 minutes on Fridays. And that one has always done really well. Cody and Paul host the UFC show that does gangbuster numbers. That beats my show a lot of the time. But that's like an OG show that's always been there on Mayo Media Network. And we've, you know, I played around with that secondary football show that we did and like yours did really good numbers whenever i hosted it did really good numbers when other people hosted it didn't do really good numbers so i think it really still depends on the host it seems like my audience is very willing to give shows a chance and whether they stick with them or not not everything's a winner i had an nft live show uh because sky convinced me to do it uh, and i was like i don't know what the fuck this is skyhook right yeah yeah. Skyler Hoke is just like, yeah, like I got this guy. He's good at NFTs. I watch it. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. But <laughs> if you say he's good, then I'm all in on it. And my audience just did not want that show. Yeah. And it might have been a great show. I have no idea. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I think that my <laughs> audience fall, fell more in line with me that it needs to be on the wavelength of what my shows are anyway. Yeah. That once you start branching out, like we ran an NBA show yesterday. I don't really do NBA and it did pretty well. I'm curious to see how it's going to do again on Friday that you know, did people come out to give it a shot this one time and doing live shows, I think over prepackaged shows on my network helps out a little bit more too, because then the audience can actually have engagement with that show and that might keep them coming back. Whereas I mean, most of the only live show that I do on a consistent basis is the Sunday night show I do between the late slate and Sunday night football, which people really like. And, and we make corn dogs for Cust and he burns his fingers every week. But that's just more of a who's not going to score a first touchdown. Let's go bet on that. Here's what happened this week. It's just a show that we would do anyway. The other live shows that I do are like I, I've had to stop doing the Sunday morning shows because people ask me too many stupid questions. I get very upset on air and like it's not it's not good for my blood pressure if I'm going to be doing a later show that day anyway i'd rather just go to the gym and like answer a twitter question or two because it was just like triggering me to no end but i do think that live would be the way to do it if you're going to introduce new people onto your channel just because it does give you audience interaction and that helps with the youtube algorithm as well so more people would find it independently of just being on my channel right i think that makes sense you uh, you mentioned NBA an NBA show. What's your what's your take if you have one on uh, late swap NBA and DFS? I, I mean, I don't play NBA anyway because I, I mean, from all accounts, from every good player I've ever talked to, it's like, oh yeah, the good players just win at NBA all the time. Like you have no chance as random guy doing anything. I'm like, all right, man, I don't follow the NBA enough anyway to care that much. But I could, I don't understand. If the good players are saying that they don't want late swap because late swap is such an advantage to them that they have to be on it every single night, why anyone would want late swap? I think I think they don't. Like I think a lot of good players don't want it. I think a lot of the – I mean, I tweeted yesterday or two days ago that the Venn diagram between the guys who call for refunds when a prop bet uh, yes. player gets hurt – is the exact same as the guy who wants late swap because he thinks it helps him and he but, you know plays one lineup a night. It's like it doesn't help you, bro. It would it only does. help the people running late swap sims on NBA, wouldn't it? it, it for, yeah, yeah. The, but then they go like, "Here's what I think their reasoning is: is they got you know uh, LeBron James in the night game, and he get and then the slate locks, and then he gets ruled out after lock, and they're like, but bro." I could have switched LeBron James to somebody else. 
and possibly won a million dollars. So clearly, we got to have late swap. I would have lost otherwise. I think I, I think that's the extent of their logic. Doesn't it like at the end of the day? I have to assume, say a site like DraftKings is making a calculation and saying what is like more important to our NBA DFS ecosystem. You know, these pros and the high players who say hey i just want to set my lineup and not have to be around the whole night and by the way it doesn't help anyone or them getting a hundred mentions that at dk assist for you know bradley beal was ruled out and now i'm taking a zero and we're really upset because right now they've made a decision to cater to that that cohort of casual players who don't even understand why it's a disadvantage to them just is it they just don't want to deal with it or is the like economics of it and the money from those casual players outweighs the importance of the 150 maxers and all the other ones i might have an answer for this okay just, just, i'll try to galaxy brain this for you if the people who are playing 150 and playing the most money don't want late swap why is that brian so they don't have to be by their computers two hours later to make all these late swaps generally speaking yes yeah. now if they are by their computers two hours later well maybe they'll 150 the late slate as well i tweeted that out three years ago i think <laughs> <Did you? laughs> yes uh, um, so Pete, I don't know if you don't remember this. They got rid of late swap for a year. And then yeah. Back. Okay. Right. And, and then FanDuel had done their own thing where they got rid of the lowest score, which was another attempt to kind of, you know, fix this issue. I, my theory is it, they wouldn't do it now. If they got rid of it last year, they wouldn't bring it back. And my theory is they didn't have the social media like knowledge yet that these dummies, I know I, it was a joke tweet, but I, I think it was just a vocal min minority of the same exact person or type of person when that first injury prop injury happened. And then they, I, who knows what it was. Remember, I can't remember, but like somebody big got hurt and they refunded it. And then those dummies were trained after that to send a message to DK assist or whatever DK Sportsbook at Twitter, every time a player gets hurt and they just got overloaded same thing with the late swap is they make late swap um, not a thing. LeBron James gets hurt, but it was the first time they got this huge influx from these these smooth-brained uh, losers, and so they overreacted and got rid of it. And so I think they wouldn't uh, now if they did it again. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, they, they did it for UFC and then brought it back. I am shocked, and although I'm glad that they haven't done it in golf because people get – and justifiably so, when a guy withdraws from a tournament before hitting a shot and he's in your lineup, it's the worst fucking thing in the world. But it's, see, I find it's evened out over time. Like, you know, sometimes I'll have that guy. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes your week is over. Sometimes you're at a huge advantage when it comes down. No one's really able to predict this. But when people tell me what their solutions is, well, let me change to a guy at the same price. Well, like, that's also not fair at the same time. It's like, well, give me the replacement guy. Well, what if the replacement guy wins? And I never had a chance to pick that guy. And I would have. Not that not hmm. that you would, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there, there's I many that. variables there. That's true. What that's if? true. It's almost never going to happen, though. Those replacement guys are pretty big, long shots. And it's almost like not having anyone anyways. But, like... I, I, I'm on the other side, I guess. I, I agree with that, though. You kind of changed my mind with that. Um, but the, I, I'm on the other side. I think they should do a middle ground. And, like, in the NBA makes a lot more sense than the PGA, so we'll just stick with that. And so no late swap. LeBron gets ruled out. Open up that game. That's it. Until but it, lock. But, but then you still need to be there for late swap anyway. But it, it, but it, only, it doesn't happen that often. 
It doesn't happen that often. And, um, and maybe, maybe injury. I don't know. I, you know, some, something, you know, I, it would cause more programming, but clearly they can program this stuff. Like that was, the, they were saying, Dude, somebody said this, that it's hard for them to program. It's like, they can fucking change. They got billions of dollars now. Come on. How about this for a genius idea? And this is just ceiling from something that all the, the prop sites and the, the fantasy pick them sites do where they offer the insurance. What if you allowed the casual player to tack on a dollar to their $25 entry that night? And if one of their players is ruled out, they get their entry fee back or whatever, like the blackjack insurance too, where you get it back. You get the comfort and the safety of that for a little bit much. They can do the calculations and know over the long term, we're actually going to make money on this extra rake by people paying for insurance. And then all of the mouth breathers aren't in your mentions because, hey, you could have just done the insurance and gotten it back if it happened. Is that not a good solution? I mean, it's a great solution for DraftKings and all those in every site yeah. who's offering up insurance on this stuff. Yeah. It's Think about that. Game. Even your $5 entry, it's like, yeah, I'll pay an extra dollar because I'm not going to take a zero in my lineup. I guarantee psychologically people will be like, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah. <laughs> it also adds a little game for the 150 guys because then we can go like make a model or something where it's like, oh, there's actually seven questionable players tonight. I know it's normally a bad deal to do the insurance, but tonight yeah, actually I'm going to insure my But you protect lines. those entries yeah. on, the, on the volatile player who may or may not be out? Well, I, I guess it would make more sense in NBA if you were doing that and they got rid of late swap because there are so many guys that don't play a lot of the times and you're waiting around for news. I mean, for any other sport, it would just be a taker for whatever site that was offering this. Here's, yeah. here, here's a strategy I would already do. You put in the sh shittiest, shittiest guy in a one lineup or something like that. Like you'd have to game it, you know. You just want the shittiest guy, like lowest seller guy who doesn't hurt you, who's really likely to get ruled out or hurt. Yeah. And then insure him for your full refund when he doesn't even matter that much in your whole your whole core. So like you could actually change your lineups too, probably to get the benefits. Could you? Yeah. Could you like? How how would you regulate it though? If I bought insurance on my lineup and one of my guys was ruled out, but I still won, would I get the winnings of the money or would I get my insurance back? I think you get both. Yeah, I would say you get okay. you get both. All right. Yeah, yeah. I think it, the insurance would be on just getting the entry fee back, and I guess yeah, and then you'd be free rolling it otherwise. Yeah. 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 Those other lines yeah, you would I, never I, got money on anyway. So. I bet I bet that the big brains and the models could price it in a way where it would be a long-term profitable thing for for DraftKings and you would get rid of all the people complaining and you just point them to next time take the insurance sir yeah. and then you guys would have fun with your sims and your models exploiting it for a micro edge in your direction yeah. and then we're back to to where we were with the pros crushing yeah. the casuals but DK doesn't have to deal with anyone angry in their mentions when when Matt Fitzgerald gets ruled out you just get those fee funds back <laughs> Uh, all right, Justin's calling me Progressive Pete. Then we got Pete from State Farm, and then Joshua punches it up to Pete from Slate Farm. So this is that's <laughs> how you do it in the chat. Teamwork. Uh, Pat, always a pleasure uh, hanging out with you. Obviously, people got to check out the Mayo Network if for some reason they haven't. Sims, uh, the Sim Runner, I use it for all the showdown slates uh, over at Run the Sims. Anything else I'm forgetting here? Yeah, I just want to ask you a question. And maybe, maybe, I don't know if you guys can disclose this information or not, or if you have any idea, what are the chances that like prize picks and underdog become like gambling sites within the next year, like licensed sports betting books? They're working on it. Yeah. So you're just saying like, what are, what do I think the odds are? Yeah. I, I think the odds are incredibly high that underdog's going to open uh, at least in a state or two within the next year. 
interesting. The, my contract, the, the way, that's why I bring this up. <laughs> is what? Say again. My, my contract is coming up. So I'm looking for potential different suitors. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Um, to me, now that you just asked that question, Pete's answer is like, it's this, this is just like fucking textbook government is you put the squeeze on them and make, start making some of their stuff illegal so that they'll fucking play ball. And <laughs> although a lot of times this works out like on a subconscious level or whatever, like it's just the way it, the way it is. And that makes perfect sense that now that they're getting pressure on their pickums, let's just buy some casinos and get our, and get in the sports book and start paying these fees and, and get regulated. Um, but easier said than done to get yourself regulated uh, as a sports book in, in, in a lot of these places, but that's pro that's probably, so it's like, like there's, there's a lot of incentive for them to do that. Not just, you know, for the profit of running a sports book. So I, 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 yeah, I would put some money on that. That's gonna, that's gonna happen if they could pull it off, but it's gotta be tough too. Well, they, they could do what fanatics did. Like when fanatics acquired points bet because points bet, not that points bet was worth anything in the States, but they had all these licenses within the States and then fanatics could take those over. Are they like, are there smaller end sports books that are registered in some of these states have their licenses that underdog or prize picks yeah. could go in and say, hey, we're just going to buy your company? Definitely. I bet that, like, you know, not bet, bet uh, MGM's too big, but, you know, like, let's say they just want to get out of the sports betting world. It's like, well, we'll take your sports betting piece. How much? You know, and then you just yeah. boom, you're in. I mean, like, even something like Bet Rivers, like, I see that around. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. But they seem but, to be yeah, like available in states. He lives in Illinois. Yeah. He's like the most powerful uh, gambling citizen in Illinois. He's the reason we don't have uh, poker here because he's just single-handedly lobbied against it and kept it kept it illegal. So um, he's got tons of money. He's built, he's he's into real estate. So it's um, just like another it's just another branch of his portfolio, then. Yeah, it's just another branch of his portfolio. Um, but he's got tons of influence. He was the reason he, so that rivers was the first sports book in Illinois. So he got the legislature to approve, you know, to prove that he gets first come first serve for like six months or a year and a half before DK could take, get customers. I don't know if you guys remember that. This is specifically because of this bet rivers guy. And, um, uh, unfortunately for him, COVID happened. So people couldn't go <laughs> to the casinos, <laughs> you know, karma. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Bat Rivers, uh, he might sell it, I guess, but he, he's not like hurting for money, but you know, like, look at, look at Barstool things happen. Well, I, that yeah. I, I really want to read a book on what happened. Like get the real story of that because I, I, I followed some stuff and you know, so much of this is based off conversions is that I, maybe you guys know this better than I do is that Penn basically gambled that they could convert the Barstool audience into sports betters, and it just turned out that that wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a book. That's a good point. Someone's like, write something. like I, I think they thought like, oh my god, here are these 19 to 25 year olds who love Barstool and love Portnoy, and I think it just turned out that none of them had any disposable income to bet with. Hmm. It seemed yeah. like there was a lot of them, though. It seemed that way, but that's great marketing, though, right? It seemed like or they were doing well. Did in like kind of dovetailing with that, I always thought it was fascinating that Barstool never scaled like a fantasy vertical, not even like DFS, but just like 
standard fan like that i would think even would hit them squarely and i know they had like one podcast at one time but that they never put any effort into growing that audience because i guarantee you that fantasy audience they could have grown would have been something they could have converted into actual you know sports betters that had disposable income to do that you know as opposed to their current audience which i don't know if they're as big of sports speculators as they maybe could have cultivated I mean, yeah. that makes sense. I'm seeing in the chat too that like, yeah, a lot of the people are just already on FanDuel and DraftKings. I mean, that makes it that that's the hardest barrier yeah. to overcome with anyone coming into the market right now is that you have two established brands. It's just even to be number three, like, I mean, I'm sure being number three is still incredibly popular, incredibly valuable and profitable, but it's hard to really breach into that now. I'm still waiting for the like one of the Euro sites to come in and to see if they're going to become a player in any of this. I think they're just waiting for all these American companies to punch themselves out a little bit. And then like bet three, six, five is going to come in and be like, Oh, we have like $30 billion. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. I could see that, that, that the argument you made was the argument they they made here in Springfield against poker. And the reason why they had the delay for DraftKings signups was because they have a foot in the market already. So we need, um, we need six months or a year to get equal footing of signups. Otherwise we can't compete against them. Um, so like you always just from a lobbying angle, you always want to use like a grain of truth <laughs> so you could tell give this to the lobby, uh, to the legislators. So then they can argue with the other lobbyists. No, we have to pass this because of this one line. It can't be complicated. It's gotta be short. And it makes some sense. The, uh, what was, I don't think we ever talked about this pet. What was your take on ESPN? Them, uh, in the whole getting rid of bar stool, do you think it would? And because in my opinion, I think ESPN is like a dying breed, and all that money they spent to me seems crazy. But maybe you you think differently. I, I think this is a smart move on their part because right now all of these sports books, and it's no different than like the heyday of DFS when DFS hit its peak and then it started to come down a little bit in terms of new customers coming in and discovering what this is like the the brand of e like who is watching espn at this point i don't have the demographics breakdown i'm guessing it skews older the people watching the morning shows or tuning into sports center because anyone young is just going to watch something on their phone at the same time is that if they can incorporate espn sportsbook into espn you might have this brand new segment of a sports enthusiast market that are older that have money that don't bet on sports already i think that's what their gamble is that this might open them up to be able to draw from a new pool of players because the new pool of players is slowly drying up. Everyone who kind of wanted to bet on sports is betting on sports now. Yep. Uh, and where do we go for new customers? Like a part of my pitch of, you know, when my, every time that I've gone to negotiation has been, look, if I go to, and even to stay with DraftKings, a lot of the time, it's just like, hey, DraftKings, like, I'm not going to bring you a ton of new users at this point. I'll bring you some people who discover the show, but to continue to sponsor me and be to tell people to play on DraftKings, talk about DraftKings is like site maintenance for you guys right now. Like you don't want me going anywhere else because I'd bring a lot of business with me if I was to go somewhere else. So although you're not getting the new players, you're still getting regular players, consistent players over time. And that's sort of the appeal and the value of my show in the market. Whereas with this one, with ESPN, and now they own it too, because they had that partnership with DraftKings anyway but they only own so much of it or they were only getting so much per whatever uh, per sign up and whatever their affiliate agreement might be that if they can own a hundred percent or however much they own of it in this deal with Penn, that 
you know, all of a sudden you're generating a bunch of new revenue. And if you're talking about Disney and you're talking about, I'm shocked Disney actually got in business with gambling, to be perfectly honest with you. But if you're talking about share prices and things like that, oh yeah, here's $2 billion in new revenue if it works out really well. It's like, oh shit, that's pretty good. Let's, let's continue doing that. So I think it's a very logical investment and partnership to have one branded sports book. We see it in Canada. Right now, so we have two major sports networks, TSN and Sportsnet. Sportsnet is taking money from every book possible to sponsor anything on their network. And FanDuel just basically bought out TSN. So everything on TSN is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, the integration of gambling on both these networks is horrendous and doesn't work. And I feel like that's what's going to happen at ESPN. It's not going to be integrated properly. And it's, it's going to make people who bet on stuff mad. And it's going to be going to make people like my dad, who have no interest in betting, really turn on the content. I feel like that's what's going to happen. But I do think that there is a way that you could integrate it properly where it would work. I just don't think that we're there right now because the people in charge of all this stuff don't bet. So they don't know what bettors want to see. And they seem to be immune to not know what people who don't bet don't want to see at the same time. Like they don't want to see fucking odds and people. When you have people who don't know what the odds mean, talking about odds on your thing to people who don't care about odds, that's bad content. People will tune out. Yeah. I, that may, that, that's all right to me. I didn't think about the, uh, the, the uh, overlap. Cause I, I'm just picturing in my head. Like I bet a big portion of Portnoy's audience was already signed up for DraftKings way before they ever did a bar the Barstool Sportsbook deal. And a big portion of ESPN's audience has no clue what DraftKings is, even though they, DraftKings did advertise on ESPN a lot. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of agree, though, with the second point, too. Where I think it's going to be a lot of hiccups and a lot of people who just don't care uh, who, who go there. And the ESPN product has been, you know, from its heydays in the 90s or whatever, is way down. So, like, I thought it was an overpay but um, no, that it makes sense that, yeah, I mean, if you're like the last cohort of people who don't have sportsbook accounts already, like it's probably a lot of ESPN and who will reason, reasonably have a chance to sign up. It might be that older ESPN audience. Yeah, I, I had a, I, geez, it was during just when, you know, when Canada opened back up a little bit. I went into one of the major networks in Canada when I still lived in Toronto to talk about this. When the sports books were coming on board, they hired me as a consultant to talk them through some of the programming. And I talked to these like upper echelon VPs who are in charge of programming and they just, they couldn't hear what I was trying to tell them about how to engage people. They're like, well, you know, I was like, do you bet? He's like, yeah, I put like a hundred dollars on in March madness every single year. I was like, is that really like the only bet that you make all year long? He's like, yeah. I was like, and you're in charge of integrating gambling content. He's like, yeah. It's like, you need to like outsource this to someone who has a better idea of how to engage these people. And there is a very easy way to do it. But they don't want to do it because that's not how they would go about it. And I don't know. You have to, I mean, Pete, just think about how easy fantasy and gambling have made talking, have made people to be able to have real conversations about sports and how none of that appears on any major network. Yeah, it's wild. And it does make me wonder, even thinking back to the Barstool thing and why they didn't have enough success is even though they did have an element that's important for getting new customers, which is like, hey, our touts are going to say stuff. You want to sweat the same thing as them. They had that. But you think about who stays around in the game. This goes back to the bankroll management thing. And I think why a lot of DFS players and a lot of people continue to sports bet is because they are making slightly informed decisions that at least will maybe make them a break even player 
over time, which means that they have the chance to keep betting, to keep signing up for promos, checking out new sports books. Like that is a coveted type of player versus, hey, you just burned through a 10 game, you know, SGP, and now you have no more money. And also the people who you're getting your picks from, they're not educating you about these sports betting things. They're not flagging good picks for you. So I do think that like burn and churn element in the right audience. And so then it goes back to the ESPN thing. Like, are they going to actually do like education? Are they going to make people inform sports betters? That's a whole different wrinkle. Well, Brian, think of it this way. And I, I know it's because Pizzola comes on my Thursday show or Wednesday show and talks about the best bets, me, him and Cam. So three very different people talking about this. But I'm always engaged with what Rob has to say about like certain bets like you know, Geno Smith. Like I, I think it's the worst quarterback against man-to-man coverage in terms of EPA per play in the league right now. And the Browns play the highest percentage of man coverage of any team in football at like an over 50% rate. Like that's a really good nugget of analytics and how it can be applied to betting potentially. Either you're looking at player props or, you know, does that mean it's going to be, you know, three and a half is the spread this week. Does that mean it's going to be a closer game because the explosive plays for Geno just aren't going to be there. But then to have like, you know, if it was NFL live on ESPN, you have the gambling perspective on that to bring up that point or that analytics point as it pertains to the line movement or the spread itself. And you could have the odds on the screen and where to bet it, but also have, I don't know, Teddy Bruschi in there as well to break down that part of the game. Like that's now a really good show where you can use gambling and be like, oh yeah, this line is off. I think this game is going to be closer because of X, Y, and Z that we can show you on the field with an analytics person, a betting person, and a former player who can break down the tape of it. Like, I think that's engaging. Maybe I've overestimated that I think this content would actually be good and that people would want to consume it. But I think it's so much better than these studio shows with like, it feels like they tell you nothing ever. They're yeah. awful. NFL is the worst. NFL color guys, I just can't listen to for more than like four words. They're so bad. I I would say I like your idea. The problem is with ESPN is you they'd have to win me back. Um, not just ESPN, a lot of those. Yeah. But with these deals, are they trying to win you back? Like as someone not in the chat fine. just mentioned, no. who had who has who even has cable? Maybe, the maybe. answer is old people have cable. Maybe somebody like me, my age, but not me specifically. But yeah, I. I Somebody, you know, a guy in their 40s, I imagine they want to win that guy back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But me, per, but I, and, and I would say they probably feel similar to me. Like they loved ESPN growing up, you know, she, and, but they burned, they burned that, you know, bridge so many times that like I'm not watching your shit anymore. I want, I haven't watched what Sports Center in like 10, 15 years probably, no. when I used to watch it constantly. So like they're going to have to win me back. Where another idea we've talked about with you on this show, like uh, the golf, um, a golf, a better live golf broadcast for guys like us who would like to watch different players playing and pick our players, etc. That I would like pay that service for. But if it was something on ESPN, I'd have to get you telling me through DMs like, Brian, you really got to check out this channel on ESPN. You're going to like it. And then I'm like, fine, maybe I'll watch it, you know, but like they got to earn me back. And guys, I think a lot of guys like me feel the same way. So, so you don't have ESPN plus for the early round coverage for golf at all? I do. I have ESPN's so you do coverage. Have ESPN. So yeah, I mean they just they just started it, and actually they did a good job with it. But yeah, but I'm saying like when I sit down on my um, my lazy boy, I never turn on ESPN ever. Okay, that's fair. So I, I guess it, we can now break this up into two parts as a part of their marketing strategy, where the people like us, like I don't watch ESPN either, or I don't watch the Canadian version of these things either, because all they fucking talk about is hockey. But um, to <laughs> 
us, I will watch. I mean, it's TSN plus here, but it's the same feed uh, to watch golf. Uh, I was watching early morning, like Wimbledon French Open on it as well. That That is a product where they will still integrate their sports book into it. So you have to think about a way to integrate it to the sports center audience, the older audience. And the then you have your live events audience, which would have to be a different type of integration to get people to bet it. And then I think the easiest people to convert would be us, although we're converted anyway. I don't have an account at ESPN Sportsbook, but if you want to incentivize me with a channel like that, I think that would be the other arm of this marketing strategy of how to properly integrate all of this into content. But you can't just say, hey, let's throw some odds on the screen. People will bet with our sports book because that's the only idea they've tried so far. Yeah, agreed. They have to try something. Agreed. Um, all right. Den Den's on to me. I do need to get going here, <laughs> but we had Pat on so we can go an extra uh, 20 minutes. Pat, uh, had a blast uh, catching up with you. Also, ATX wants you to tell the people to smash the like button. Can you do that for us? Not only do you need to hit your phone so hard you break that fucking like button, you smash that screen at the same time, but make sure to gently caress the subscribe button as well to Pete's channel. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, Pat, we'll get the audio up on the Lulz podcast feed and we'll do our best to generate another beef. Maybe we need to get Feinberg on, get Feinberg on, get him maybe throwing some Molotov cocktails out here. He got drunk on Christmas and yelled at Levitan on Twitter. So, I mean, I did see that. You could stoke that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. What if we started like setting up covert, like, uh, matchmaker feuds like we invite Levitan on don't tell him about Feinberg invite Feinberg on don't tell him and then just bring him on the screen right at the same time and just let the fireworks happen well the thing is if you put Feinberg in that situation he would just spend an hour apologizing to everyone <laughs> <laughs> that's that's generally what happens um all right appreciate you guys hanging out in the chat we'll be over speaking of uh sweating some stuff we'll be over on ship chasing uh tonight doing the companion stream for Thursday night football last week we hit uh both of our pickums so uh Uh, Come tail us on this heater and then don't add us when we don't win uh, tonight. That's how I would prefer to play this. For Pat, for Brian, I'm Pete. We'll see you guys next time.